1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com mobilecom 215
2: 215-592-9494. Rob Cherry in for Glenn Mac now with Mike Seals. At some point, Mike, I want to discuss your new book. Project, which uh, sounds great, sounds, uh, I find fascinating. A couple questions I have to start the hour, then we'll do uh, this day in Eagle history. There's one particular item that I thought was fascinating. Well, the questions are these uh, This is the dilemma that we've had, I guess, in, in Philadelphia for years, That we used to pose this question years ago at WIP before they won a Super Bowl Would you rather have 10 years of contending or one Super Bowl? Mm
3: hmm. Yeah, we were, Glenn and I were talking about this uh, a little bit last week. I I opt for the 10 years of contending. Um, I think most fans, whether they want to admit it or not, actually feel that way that my theory is that most fans enjoy the ride. They want for all the heat that Andy Reid took, for instance, when he was the head coach here, uh, head coach here. Those seasons in 2000, 2001 through 04 when they finally got to the Super Bowl. That team was really good every week, and so every game mattered. I think the flip side of that, the, you know, do you want to win the Super Bowl once and, they, and then be irrelevant for the nine years thereafter? I don't think most people want that. I, I think they want to feel like they are going along for the ride, and contention is what people really want.
2: Yeah, but people wanted at one point to feel like a champion to feel like the yeah. team finally and they did in 2017 obviously since then they've made the playoffs several times but they've never gotten close
3: right and and I think it's it's generated I always kind of chuckle when I speak to friends of mine either in the sports media or who aren't from outside the Philadelphia area who suggest that like well the Eagles won the Super Bowl or back in 2008 when the Phillies won the World Series, so that dark cloud of negativity that so uh, hangs over Philadelphia must have lifted now. And it's like, no, you don't understand Philadelphia. <laughs> it's, like, it's back. <laughs> it's, it, they want more of that. We want more of that. You know, the the Phillies gave us a taste. The Eagles gave us a taste, and we want it. We want to taste it again. And um, that that feeling never kind of goes away. So the contention is what you're looking for. The feeling that there's a chance. Uh, I think is what really drives interest in sports. Yeah,
2: but imagine here in 2022 the Phillies hadn't won in 2008 the Eagles hadn't won in 2017 how would we feel? We oh, never know what it felt like yeah. to be to cover a champion or to root for a champion. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I mean I mean my gosh Rob we, we could do a a PhD thesis about the the thinking and the feeling and the mentality of Philadelphia sports fans. I think it's changed a little bit over time but it, it's always a topic that I just find totally interesting in the way people approach sports in this city. It's amazing
2: to me. Well, you're welcome. It's an idea for your next book. All right, I'll see what I can do. All right, right, so the other question I want to throw, and it's for you, it's also for the audience. It's a question you were asked when you were on the morning show, I think it was Thursday? Yeah, I think so. Thursday on the morning show. Uh, And I want to ask our audience as well. You were asked about whether you would love to be at the U.S. Open Mm -hmm. to cover Serena's last hurrah. And your answer was? My answer
3: was, I wouldn't mind, I would enjoy doing it, but I'm not sure how much interest there is to a Philadelphia viewership or readership in the U.S. Open, even with Serena Williams uh, making a run and potentially playing there for the last time.
2: All right. So the question I have for our listeners and your readers as well, paper in, in the paper, is there an athlete or a sport you wish we would talk about more on the radio or have us write about? Have Mike write about more in the in the uh, newspaper?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting question, Rob. We were we were talking about this before the show in that when you when you're deciding, when you're in our position, right, and you're deciding what to talk about or what to cover, you often don't know that you should be talking about or covering a thing until that thing happens, right? Like, no, maybe nobody's playing, paying attention to the Masters one year, but all of a sudden Tiger Woods enters and goes six under the first day. And Tiger Woods has no connection to Philadelphia, nothing tangible anyway, but it becomes the thing that you're talking about at barbecues or with your buddies having a beer or whatever the case may be. And if you're not already there, if you're not anticipating that that might happen, you're left out. Um, and I don't know how many stories there are like that for us in the Philadelphia area because we are so parochial, because ratings for the teams here are so high. And generally speaking, Ratings here for big national sporting events, whether you're talking about the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals, tend to be lower than they are throughout the rest of the country because we care so much about what's going
2: on here. But so, there are some stories that just transcend everything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And some so of the- I,
3: I'd be curious to hear what people have to say about that because that's a. Um, I'm curious to know what those stories are.
2: Yeah, what do, what is Mike not covering? What is the Inquirer not covering? Or what are we not covering at WIP that you would like to hear more about?
3: Yeah, tell us how we're messing up and not doing yeah. our jobs well. <laughs> yes,
2: thank you. Thank you. All right, let us know how we can do our jobs better yes. instead of just talking about the Phillies and Eagles and Sixers and I guess once in a while the Flyers as well. Uh, all right, before we do uh, this day in Eagle history, I'm going to get Brian from Middletown on. Brian, you're on uh, 94 WIP.
4: Hey, good morning, guys. Pleasure to speak with you. You too, Brian. Yeah, and uh, that's interesting. You're talking about different um, issues to cover because, you know, in the social media era, obviously you can kind of get the news you want, the sports coverage you want, by seeking it out. So, you know, I I think it just sort of changes the landscape of uh, sort of major newspapers and outlets. Uh, But that is an interesting question. And, um, Mike, I want to compliment you for your work on uh, Kobe Bryant, your writing.
3: Oh, thank you, uh, Brian. I appreciate that.
4: Uh, yep. So, now with that, then I have to come with some criticism. <laughs> Br- not, bring it, man. Bring it. <laughs> and it's not just towards you, really. I, I think it's recovering the Eagles. It's interesting. I understand the focus on a quarterback, and he certainly has to be held accountable. But to me, the one person who seems to be getting a pass is Nick Sirianni. He's a guy who was hired. He's an offensive-minded head coach. He doesn't call plays. That's Okay. But a part of your responsibility, and you saw this with Andy Reid, you have to develop a quarterback. Sean McVay showed that. And it's interesting, you dropped certain names of quarterbacks last season who clearly are better physically than Jalen Hurts. Uh, Justin Herbert, he didn't make the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers, he gets bounced in the first round. And again, I'm not, obviously, Hurts is not that level. The point is, head coaching matters. And for me, if Hurts does not succeed, because I actually see his success connected to Nick Sirianni, which everyone seems to talk about as if, well, Hertz is separate, and if that doesn't work, well, we just move on. When you move on, I think Nick Sirianni only gets one more quarterback. This is not in an area where you're waiting for the head coach to get a Hall of Fame quarterback. That doesn't work. You have to develop a guy. So, for me, I'm kind of interested in hearing your take on like, how you're evaluating Nick Sirianni, because I think Hertz can put up some big numbers. Uh, just like Dak Prescott, just like Justin Herbert. And then you could be at the end of the season saying, well, darn, uh, maybe the head coach just wasn't good enough. Brian, Thank you, guys. I,
3: no, thank you, Brian. And I think you make a great, great point. And it's actually one that I wrote about in this offseason, which is if you take a look at the head coaches that Jeffrey Lurie has hired during his tenure as the Eagles chairman, you had Ray Rhodes.
2: Who was not his first choice.
3: Who was not his first choice. He wanted Dick Vermeil. looked up, looked elsewhere. But he
2: was coach of the year his first year.
3: Yes, he was. You had Ray Rhodes, you had Andy Reid, you had Chip Kelly, Doug Peterson, and now Nick Sirianni. Okay? Ray Rhodes' quarterbacks during his tenure as the Eagles head coach were Rodney Pete and Randall Cunningham, Ty Detmer, Bobby Hoying. Not exactly... A group of Hall of Famers
2: and Randall at the when he had he had basically checked out he he obviously got revived in in Minnesota but he had checked out and it just didn't work he was him and Gruden clashed I guess
3: exactly look at Andy Reid right makes the smart decision to draft Donovan McNabb
2: over our protest for Ricky Williams
3: (laughs) exactly they stay together for what nine ten years everything's hunky dory once they trade McNabb and I'm not suggesting they shouldn't have traded McNabb it was time for that to end but then you get inconsistency Kevin
2: Cobb was the guy they drafted to replace him
3: right Kevin Cobb Michael Vick you know Vick has a seven-week stretch in 2010 where he's incredible not quite as incredible the next couple of years three years after they trade Donovan McNabb Andy Reid gets fired Chip Kelly now there's a lot you can say about Chip Kelly's tenure with the Eagles but his quarterbacks were again Michael Vick inconsistent and injured Nick Foles played great One year was not so great in 2014 before he got hurt. I
2: didn't think he was that bad when he got hurt.
3: Well, he he, he wasn't great, let me put it that way. And then you have Mark Sanchez and Sam Bradford, okay? Again, a lot of instability at that position. Kelly lasts less than three years. And again, the quarterback situation isn't the only reason he was fired. Doug Peterson comes in, you draft Carson Wentz. You have Nick Foles as a backup. Everything is great. But as soon as Wentz's relationship with the team falls apart in 2020... Not only do they trade Wentz, they get rid of Doug Peterson. I'm saying all that to say, as Brian mentioned, there is a lot at stake for Nick Sirianni here with Jalen Hurts. If Hurts does not play well enough where the Eagles say, okay, we're going to stick with him, or, you know what, Nick knows what he's doing, we just need to upgrade the quarterback, then eventually Sirianni's going to have to wonder about his future i'm not saying that's happening anytime soon
2: well hurts is not his guy he didn't draft hurts he wasn't he was he proceeded
3: right um but what i am saying is i think to brian's point brian might have said this explicitly and i think he's right it's not like they're going to cycle through a whole bunch of quarterbacks for nick sirianni jeffrey lurie doesn't do that he he gets a head coach that head coach gets a guy who they hope is going to work out and if it doesn't the quarterback may be gone and the coach may be gone too. So uh, it's really an interesting dynamic. I and, mean, you know, especially in the modern NFL where a coach can have a lot of power or not very much power. Look at the Rams, for instance. Okay. Sean McVay comes in, and all of a sudden, Jared Goff actually looks like a player who should have been the number one overall pick, except that in time, it becomes apparent that, you know what? Sean McVay is kind of propping him up a little bit. So they trade Goff to Detroit, they get Matt Stafford in, who everybody would acknowledge is better than Jared Goff, and they win a Super Bowl. Uh, And all of a sudden, the offense that McVay has been running looks even better than it did with Goff. So, you know, sometimes it's not just, is the quarterback good or not? It is, is the quarterback-coach combination operating at its highest level? its greatest productivity, and we're not going to know that yet until the season starts with Hurts yeah. with and Sirianni.
2: Interesting you bring up all the uh, the quarterbacks since Jeff Lurie got here, uh, coach's quarterbacks, because the only one who actually got to pick his own quarterback was basically Andy Reid.
3: Yeah, I mean, Doug Doug, Doug liked, did too. Yeah. yeah, Doug liked Wentz. He had a lot of input on that, um, you know, and look, for a while it looked like it was working, you know, and... It
2: was the best season ever by... best regular season ever by an Eagle quarterback.
3: Yeah, it really was. He was, he was going to be the MVP, and Everything that's happened since then, uh, understandably, like, covers up that fact. But he was really terrific that one
2: year. Interestingly enough, that brings us to this day in Eagle history. Go for it. All right, so this day in Eagle, September 3rd, 2016, the Eagles traded Sam Bradford to Minnesota for a first-round draft pick in 2017. I remember that. Howie Roseman had traded up from, was it 16 to 8 to 2? Yes. 16 to 8 to 2 to draft Carson Wentz. So Howie continued to clean up a mess that was left for him by Chip Kelly, by ridding him of Brad. Bradford was a terrible fit with it. it was it was He traded Bradford, or they got Bradford from St. Louis, with and a second round, or they traded Nick Foles and a second round pick. Yes.
3: Now, having said this, is St. Bradford a great NFL quarterback? No. Obviously not. Having said that, the Eagles were 7 and 6 in the games that he started and finished for them that season, Bradford? 2015, Bradford. They finished the season 7 and 9 in part cuz Bradford missed several games right. with a concussion, I believe it was.
2: Which is surprising that the guy would get hurt. The yeah, guy who exactly. missed two seasons with ACL. Exactly. Exactly.
3: And to me, I always I always chuckled um and you know, laughed in the aftermath of the Eagles going after Carson Wentz and Bradford demanding the trade. Like people went apoplectic over Sam Bradford demanding a trade. Where it's like, do you do? do you all follow pro sports? Like the guy want, the guy can read the writing on the wall. He's he drafted not, him number two overall. Yeah, You're not he, gonna have
2: him sit that long.
3: Right. Carson Wentz is gonna play. The job is Carson Wentz's. Sam Bradford wants a chance to go play somewhere else. Any athlete in his position would do exactly the same thing. And people acted like he was disloyal or wasn't tough enough. The guy came back from like two or three knee surgeries. He was tough enough. He just
2: he got injured too much. He was not a good fit here either. No. But the reason why they traded him, because he was going to be the starting quarterback that yep. year, and Chase Daniel was going to be the backup. Carson Wentz would barely get on the field, if, if at all. But Teddy Bridgewater blew out his knee in Minnesota. I, I'm still
3: skeptical about how long they would have waited um, before getting Wentz in there uh the the Chase Daniel move I'll I'll never understand he is an all-time hall of famer when it comes to earning money in the NFL getting rewarded for nothing yeah getting rewarded for not being a great quarterback um but kudos to him because he you know he, he he made a lot of money while he was here
2: so that that happened this day in Eagle history they traded Sam Bradford and all this all the give Howie credit for anything else the fact that he cleaned up a mess, got a team to to win a Super Bowl, yeah, wh- with what was left for him by Chip Kelly, was pretty amazing.
3: Yeah, it was, and um, and I give him a little bit of credit. It's kind of like, do you want to, do you want to blame him for setting the fire, or do you want to blame him f- or credit him for putting it out? Right, like they misread Wentz. They committed a whole lot of money and a whole lot of years to him, and then drafted Jalen Hurts, and he lost his mind and wanted to be traded. The fact that they are back to where they are now, as perceived to be a playoff team and contenders, is a credit to Howie Roseman and how he's reshaped them. Because they went into the, that contract thinking, like, Carson Wentz is going to be our guy for the next five to ten years. And they had to completely reverse course once he decided he didn't want to play here anymore.
2: Uh, it's my contention. They... F- they- Fired Doug Peterson to appease Carson Wentz, and didn't read the room that Carson Wentz didn't like Howie either.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how true that. I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I, I don't know how true that is. Um, but I, I did write after the last game of that season, uh, if you remember, it was the the quote unquote tanking game against yeah. Washington, uh, and there was a report by ESPN's Chris Mortensen that Wentz wanted to be traded. Uh, they and that was it. You gotta you gotta do it. You know, he didn't want to play for Doug anymore, Wentz apparently had said and or his representatives had said and um yeah, you had to do it. And it's 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 wild to think that's how it ended given all the expectations and joy that accompanied Carson Wentz when he showed up. In
2: most cases when somebody says they want to be traded, you have no choice. Yeah. In Kevin Durant's case, they had no takers or or not no one was gonna pay enough for him.
3: Right, right. And I'm I'm not even sure how um aggressively the Nets were looking to trade Kevin Durant. I think it might have just been. Yeah, sure, Kevin. We're trying to trade you. Whatever.
2: Let's get uh, Clay in Kansas City on Clay. You're a ninety-four WIP.
5: Hey guys, how you doing? Hi Clay. Um, you guys were talking about, and I, I, I've seen a lot of Jalen Rager. You know, I'm a Midwest guy. watch a lot of Big Twelve. I didn't like it when they drafted him, hmm. but he he really did. Something happened to that guy. Because man, in in college, he he was really a difference maker on the field. He was fast. So I. It, I didn't hate it, but spinning him then for what they got for him, because, I mean, let's face it, we all thought they were just going to outright release the guy, because I don't think you could have brought him back into that wide receiver room. I mean, I don't know what your guys' thoughts on that are, but he just didn't fit.
3: Yeah, I I think given the wide receiver room now, Clay, I mean, he was at best the fourth or fifth guy, um, you know, in terms of talent, in terms of, you know, uh, accomplishments, all that kind of thing. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in that they got more for him than I thought they would get for him. To me, he reminds me, um, and this is in some way unfair to the the person whose name I'm about to mention, he reminds me of Nelson Aguilar in this regard. When Aguilar was, in, was with the Eagles for the first couple of years he was here, he struggled with drops, and he struggled with uh, the fact that physically he was not quite as uh dominant in the NFL as he had been in college. And it wasn't until he took an off season and really like built himself up a little bit so that he was more athletic that all of a sudden he started getting to the spot on the field that he needed to be without thinking about it and catching the ball without thinking about it. And he didn't have to try so hard. And he talked about that that season and when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And I wonder if Rager was going through something similar where he just felt like, you know the difference between him and his competitors athletically was not nearly as great in the NFL, and it hampered him in some way.
5: Yeah, I, I would agree. And then I will say the roster is very deep. I mean, it feels a little bit like the 2017 roster. It's really deep. And then the last comment I'll make, I have not watched tennis in 20 years. I've been watching Serena. I grew up in the 80s. I watched Jimmy Connors make his run at the U.S. Open. I mean, I watched last night, and... But I won't watch again because tennis is kind of dead to me. It's boring now. So
2: thanks, guys. Thanks. That's an Thank interesting you, comment. But I haven't watched a lot of tennis either, and I watched last night as well.
5: Yeah.
3: Um, well, on the men's side of things, you have three, you know, the kind of the blessed trinity of men's tennis, right, in Roger Federer and uh, Jokovic and Rafael Nadal. Um, so that's been pretty compelling. You know, one or two of those three guys is going to be there at the end, usually. Um, and look, Serena has been... Around And at the top of her sport for a long time, um, you know, she and Venus are compelling personalities and stories and so great. Um, so so different from what the stereotype of a tennis player, tennis yeah. player once was. Um, so all of that works to their advantages. And I, th- I think like we talked about earlier, Rob, like the whole idea of a once great athlete making a late career push or run. Whether you're talking about Jack Nicklaus at the 86 Masters or Tiger Woods a couple of years ago kind of making a comeback or Serena this past week, people eat that stuff up.
2: And they should. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk about what we're watching. WIP Sports Time, 1124. Oh, Larry David! At oh the yeah, end I like that. Yeah. Right. I,
3: I, Glenn recut that um, a couple of weeks ago uh, when I joined the show, and uh, I love it. I love the the almost famous reference. I am a golden god. Uh, it's one of my all time favorite movies. So uh, yeah, this has be quickly become you know probably my favorite segment on the show that Glenn and I
2: do. Segment is called "What We're Watching." It's sponsored by to Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Windows' big summer sales event. Receive forty percent off all windows and doors. Call one eight seven seven GO GUIDA or visit go G-U-I-D-A, dot com. Well, I, I can tell you what I've been watching is, is Serena. Serena yeah. So I've been watching the tennis. But it's not... It's I mean, the Open is a two-week thing, and, mm-hmm. and I think I'm done because Serena's yeah. done. <laughs> so let's ask what you're watching. Sure. So, sure. so um, this past
3: week, I, I've been, since, since starting on with Glenn, I've been uh, consuming one after another documentaries on Netflix. And they have a really cool... Uh, sports documentary series there called Untold. They did one a couple of weeks ago. Glenn and I talked about about um, the Manti Teo story from 2012 about how he got catfished, and that was really good. And I watched one this week called Operation Flagrant Foul, and it is all about Delco's own Tim Donahue. The referee. The referee who, who bet on games uh, while he's with the NBA, play, you know, reffing games in the NBA. And... I enjoyed the documentary, but it was kind of a hard watch from the standpoint that nobody in this documentary comes off well at all. And why and, should they? Right. And the, the sleaze factor of the people who were involved um, in this operation to bet on games and Donahue's role in it. Uh, and in, really, Donahue comes off as the most corrupt and duplicitous one of the group. Um, you know, where he's kind of evasive, asking, answering certain questions. Uh, he insists he only made about $30,000 from this whole arrangement, which was ridiculous. Um, there's some interesting kind of review and reveal where it's kind of implied that the NBA and David Stern in particular were the ones who leaked the initial story about the investigation of Donahue so that they can, could get out in front of it, um, so it was an interesting watch. And, of course, you know, you're watching this and you're seeing shots of Delaware County and you hear Donahue talking about the fact that Delco is the home to so many NBA referees. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a breeding ground there. Um, is he
2: implying that others are involved? or he,
3: he? There is a direct implication that a referee named Scott Foster uh, was involved in some way. Now, they Foster was not interviewed for the doc. Um but the implication is very strongly there. And it does get you thinking about it's it's kind of that side of sports that we don't talk about and almost don't look at unless somebody like Adana comes forward and is actually truthful about it. Um the question is how truthful was he throughout this whole documentary? Uh and so,
2: it's a one time It's a
3: one it's about an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah. Um it's worth sitting down and watching. Um you know, they should have subtitled it like player of East town or something like that just cause it's so Delco. It's so thick. Um, Was it
2: as good as mayor of East town? I don't think so. No, no. no.
3: Um, I gave it three stars out of four. Um, but the, the reason I don't go higher than that is you're, you're listening to these guys, the ones in particular who were involved in the conspiracy to bet on games and, and using Donna, he's inside information and you don't, you're not 100% sure of how to separate fact from fiction and truth from lie, and that makes it a challenge. Who, uh, who produced this? Uh, that's a good question. It's, it's part of a series that Netflix. It's a Netflix original series. Um, I don't know who produced it, um, but it, it's worth a watch. It is, especially for basketball fans around here.
2: There was a Netflix series a couple of years ago that a uh, fellow LaSalle guy uh, produced. And Matt Halley and uh, the work Tom Farrell on the Workshop produced Basketball or Nothing. I don't know if you saw that.
3: I, I didn't see it. Matt is a friend of mine. I apologize, Matt, <laughs> for not watching that documentary I've been meaning to. Uh, I just didn't get around to it. But yeah, I've known Matt a long time. We overlapped a little bit at, Heis- at, uh, at LaSalle. And uh, he's very, very talented. What he does.
2: Basketball Nothing was about a uh, a Indian Indian. American Native Americans in Arizona Mm -hmm. uh, playing for a a high school championship. Yep. Which and it's just a fascinating, fascinating series. It's I think it's like six episodes.
3: Yeah, Matt Matt did a lot of great work. He was here um, at the ground floor when it started with Comcast SportsNet. Um, Did a lot of great work for that network back when that network did a lot of great work. Um, So yeah. I've been meaning to check it out. I just haven't yet.
2: It's on Netflix as well. Uh, that's about all. You know, like I said, Serena's and, and the Phillies.
3: Yeah, you know, I have I have two kids under the age of eleven, so I'm well, not. What, watching. what are they?
2: What have they been watching?
3: <laughs> <laughs> they watch a lot of Harry Potter movies. Um, we did watch uh, back when it was in the theaters. Um, the four of us, my wife and our two sons, went to see Top Gun Maverick, and that honestly is the best thing I've seen all year. Um, and you liked the first one too? I did, but this this the sequel is better. The sequel is is actually better. In fact. Uh, my two sons saw the sequel first, and then a week later, uh, I found the original Top Gun on Amazon Prime or something like that, and we watched it. And uh, at the end of it, they were like, "That was good," but but the second one was better.
2: Did they change the music or same music? Very same. Kenny similar. Loggins?
3: Yeah, <laughs> no, Kenny. They, they do play Danger Zone at the beginning of the sequel. Right. It's uh, it's it's got the perfect balance of like nostalgia for the first movie, and then moving the story forward, and Once the movie's been out a while, I think you can people who have seen it can more openly discuss what I think is the big, unspoken twist in the middle of the movie, which I'm not going to say on the air, um, because not everybody has seen it yet, even though it feels like everybody's seen it. But uh, I think it's an instant classic. I I just thought it was the coolest experience I've had in a movie theater in years.
2: And you've seen the uh, the Adam Sandler, the Basketball Scout movie? I saw Hustle and loved it. I I did too. Some people didn't like it. I loved it. No, I thought it was really well written.
3: Um, it has that one line that, you know, I'm sure has been repeated a thousand times since the movie came out, you know, Philadelphia fans are the worst. That's what makes them the best is that they're the worst. Something along those lines. Um, but yeah, I loved hustle. I thought it was great.
2: Yeah. I thought it was very, very well done. And I, the, I guess the complaint is you hear that, well, only people in Philadelphia would like it. No. I disagree. I
3: think think basketball fans everywhere would love it. I think it, it hits all the right notes of philadelphia uh great shots of the maniunk wall and um it, it gets the city right i wish know? i'd
2: been an extra yeah that, it would have cool town yeah all right let's uh that that's uh what we're watching is there an out cue for this or just i uh, read this again one more time uh sponsored by guided door and window taking advantage of guided door and windows big summer sales event Visit, uh receive 40 percent off all windows and doors call one eight seven seven go guida or visit go gui day gui IDA.com. All right, back to the phones. Let's get uh, Jason Westchester. Jason, you're on 94 WIP.
7: Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it.
2: You got it, Jason.
7: Uh, so earlier you guys asked uh, what athlete or team you wish uh, or we wish that you guys would cover more on WIP, and I have, to, I have to chime in and be an advocate for a team right here in Philadelphia that gets absolutely no attention on WIP, unfortunately, and that would be the Philadelphia Union. Um, now, Just a few statistics, the Union are currently number one in their conference. They just clinched mathematically a playoff spot on Wednesday. They have about, I think, like a 14-goal differential higher than the team in second place. They've only allowed 21 goals the entire season, and they have a chance, a good chance, I think, of uh, before the Phillies, Eagles, Sixers, or Flyers of being the next Philadelphia sports team to win a championship. And I just I think it's a shame that if they were to win a championship, they would maybe get a mention going into or out of a commercial break on WIP. And I think uh, I think that's a shame.
2: Why do you think that is? It doesn't get covered.
7: Uh, well, I don't. I honestly don't know. I think there's a lot of people who just don't understand the, the nuances of soccer. I find it astonishing personally that people will call soccer boring. And then they will sit through a four-hour baseball game, personally. I mean, I I, I personally played soccer. I was a, an, an NCAA, uh, not NCAA, I'm sorry, PIAA soccer referee for five years. And my son and I, we go to Union Games regularly. And it is a really enjoyable uh, sports watch, if you understand it. So I think if more people understood the game they would uh you know you go to a uni game and the stands are packed it is a popular sport it's the number one sport in the world really and um you know i i think uh, it gets overshadowed by you know the the the, uh, the more more covered sports uh the you know the big four and i just you know that's, that's my personal opinion.
2: All right. Thanks for your call. We appreciate it.
3: Yeah, Jason, I think there's a lot of merit to what you're saying um, in terms of the attention that isn't brought to bear. I, I have to admit, I I have never written or covered a union match, but I do hear more and more from friends and people who I know in the Philadelphia area who love going to union matches, particularly parents, as Jason kind of alluded to. It's From what I understand, it's an incredible environment to bring kids um, the stadium is beautiful. The view is beautiful there. Uh, they do a great job of game presentation. And he's right. The Union are sixteen four and nine. They've outscored their opponents sixty one to twenty one, which is the highest you know goal differential in the entire you know Major League Soccer. They're unbeaten at home. Um, it's a great story, and I think there's it's it's interesting to think about like the way the fires caught on quickly when they when the NHL expanded here and the fact that the union haven't reached that kind of popularity. You know, you're comparing the late 60s, early 70s to the 21st century, but um, I wonder if there are factors there that overlap or, or really differentiate those two things. Well,
2: interesting you bring up the Flyers because we used to say this about—I mean, Flyers used to sell out all their games, mm-hmm. but we used to say that the reason why we talk more basketball than hockey, the, the winter sports, is because more people care about basketball or play basketball— then uh, hockey was just like well, the people going to the games care about it, but nobody else seems to care much about it. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, uh, not a great TV sport. It's a great – it's actually a very good radio sport, but it's also obviously one of the things you got to see in person because it's just tough to follow on TV. Yeah.
3: I, I mean, look, I think um, – you know, I mean, gosh, we could take this any number of directions in terms of, um, you know, where people go to discuss sports nowadays, whether you're talking about a talk radio station, social media – Um, texting with their friends, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And um, you know that certain things will move the needle. You know the Eagles are the big dogs in town. You know when the Phillies are good, baseball becomes very popular. We've seen what happens in the past when the Sixers – make a run. You know, the 2000-2001 season with Allen Iverson, you saw Sixers flags everywhere. When when they got back to the playoffs with Embiid and Simmons, there was a charge, you know, in the region about the Sixers. So uh, maybe it's simply a matter of time for the union that they will eventually become a, a bigger deal.
2: Well, here's the deal. A lot of kids grow up playing soccer. A ton of kids grow up playing soccer uh, because soccer has become, you know, good a good high school sport. It's a good sport for kids to play. But it's still never caught on like baseball basketball and football yeah
3: yeah but it's an interesting point about baseball though you're right i mean i've i've i don't pay as close attention to baseball as i once did and the changes in the sport and the way that it's slowed down uh are a big reason why
2: and maybe the fact that the national team is not that good i mean if there are a women's league there have been women's leagues the women's national team is is better to follow than the men because the men are never in the world cup yeah that's that's fair too um maybe that's it i don't know I don't know. All right. 215-592-9494. WIP Sports Time, 1142.
1: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Freak responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: 94 WIP, Rob Cherry in for Glenn Macnow with Mike Sealski. On a Saturday midday, now joining us on the lines right now is Dr. Mark Pollard from Cooper Bone & Joints. So we can discuss some of the injuries uh, that we're concerned about. Mike, uh, what's the one that's got you most concerned right now?
3: i, I got to ask Dr. Pollard about Zach Wheeler um, and this lingering soreness uh, that apparently, not apparently, is going to push back his start and cause him to be reevaluated. Dr. Pollard, thanks for coming on.
8: What are well, my we to, pleasure.
3: Yeah. What are we to make of this? Uh, how... how alarmed should Phillies fans be
8: um well I mean it's uh, always worrisome when there's kind of an injury that just doesn't seem to be able to go away um, from what I understand he's had this has been kind of an ongoing thing I, I thought that I heard that he had gotten an MRI previously I thought it was his elbow yes and obviously that's always a concern with pitchers um, but I thought he had an MRI that was pretty clean you know showing no structural damage so that's always reassuring but you know, even if you have a clean MRI, that doesn't mean that you don't have symptoms. And you know, the worry is, you know, you know, is there pain that's kind of showing up before there's anything visible on an MRI? And if there is pain, does it alter the throwing mechanics enough that he can hurt something else, like his shoulder or something? So you know, it it is always concerning when something just doesn't seem to be able to go away.
3: So, just for clarity, there was an MRI that showed inflammation. Um, you know, does, is that what you're talking about when you're saying the MRI is pretty clean, that, you know, no structural damage, but, you know, there is something going on there still?
8: Yeah, I mean, you know, no, the, the, the big concern would be is if there was, you know, a tear, like a torn ligament uh, is the most common thing, but also, you know, some of the area where a muscle attaches to bone can also kind of work its way loose. Um, and so those would be kind of the big structural things. Obviously, inflammation is, you know, non-specific. it does show that something's going on. So something's happening to the point that, you know, the tissue is irritated enough to, you know, get, you know, extra swelling in it, which is what the inflammation is. So, you know, it's a, especially if, you know, that lingers after rest that somewhat of concern.
2: And they originally said 15 days and they were hoping you'd be able to start September 6th. They already pushed that back a few days. Is any reason for concern for that? It's just that maybe something being a little cautious there.
8: I think it's probably just an abundance of caution you know that they you know everything you know, have to take everything in the big picture and if there's you know they want they don't want this thing to kind of continue to linger if they get to the you know the end of the season push or the postseason hopefully and so you know they are probably willing to sacrifice a few starts now to have him, you know fresh and you know 100% later.
2: Right. Miles Sanders, uh, hamstring, lingering hamstring injury uh, concern about something like that the uh, the fact that he still hasn't practiced. Not fully.
8: Um, it depends. It's it's kind of, to me at least, it's tough to read how things are being handled. You know, in the preseason. You know, uh, some you know some teams don't really play their starters at all in the preseason and don't have them practice very hard. You know, again, trying to preserve them for the regular season. Whereas other teams, you know, take the opposite approach, kind of like boot camp. Um, and so it's difficult to know what to make of it. Obviously, you know, a, a hamstring injury that won't go away, you know, is, is concerning because that's the kind of thing that can keep on, you know, getting aggravated and that the timeline for, you know, full function can keep getting pushed back. So um, if it is indeed, you know, a, a hamstring injury that's significant that's not getting better, that would be, you know, cause for concern.
2: Uh, Dr. Pollard, one one other question I have. It's not about a local athlete, but uh, I was talking with a friend of mine about an injury uh, that uh, a basketball player had, a lottery pick had. That, uh, yes, seems like, Holmgren. Yeah, a Liz Frank injury. Is that something that uh, he was saying that it, it's a couple of years before you can actually be yourself? Is that the type of injury that you never fully recover from or you can fully recover from, but it takes more than a year or so?
8: Um. Oh, there's a spectrum of how bad a lisfranc injury can be you know the, the, that's referring to the Frank joint and which is kind of uh, the mid-portion of your foot you know uh, uh, further up than the toes but farther down than the ankle uh, some of the you know the small bones in the uh, in the foot and so there's some strong ligaments that hold that together normally they hold up but it takes a lot of force to injure those and that can be you know a it can be a devastating injury at times, and you know the recovery time can, depending on how severe it is and what treatment needs to be done. A lot of times, surgery is required, and that can take a long time to get better. Especially for somebody, you know, basketball, you can't exactly put like a stiff sole shoe necessarily on the foot, and uh, you know, like a lineman might be able to, um, and just go forward as best you can. Uh, you know, that can it can take a couple. Uh, a while, maybe even a couple years on the outside.
2: And if you're seven foot, is it a lot worse?
8: Well, it stands to reason that the bigger you are, the the longer your uh, limbs are, the more force is going to be put on there. So, um, you know, that's probably contributed to it happening in the first place and also might make it a little bit more challenging to, to heal it up.
3: Dr. Pollard, thank you so much. Appreciate it very much. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure.
2: Uh, Dr. Mark Pollard from Cooper Bone & Joint.
3: You know, you mentioned Liz Frank. Those are two of the worst words in professional yeah. sports. Um, anytime you hear that an athlete has got a Liz Frank, you just say, oh, man, I remember I think Deuce Staley had yes. one. Yes, yeah, it was. No. Um, uh, maybe Todd Harriman's with the Eagles. You see it frequently in football and in basketball. And every time I say to myself, oh, my gosh, that, that athlete's got a long recovery Ahead of him or her to get back to where they want to be.
2: And if you look at the frame of Chet Holmgren, he's seven foot, like 195 something. Yeah, it's crazy. It doesn't look like he's got the body that could hold up. And in a, in a what was it, a pro, uh, game in Seattle? Yeah, a pro-am game, yeah, in Seattle. He just crumbled uh, backpedaling covering yeah. uh, LeBron James.
3: Yeah, and uh, he's going to miss the entire season. It's kind of a Joel Embiid-esque situation yeah. there. Uh, he I could miss too.
2: Yeah, for all we know.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right.
2: Yeah. Let's right, go back to the phones here. Bob in Delran, you're on 94 WIP.
9: Hey, yeah, I wanted to make a couple of points. And I know with the younger generation, it's about social media. But if you're a professional athlete, and I spoke to, I think it was Ruben Frank, it said something, and I asked him, can the coaches approach them and say, now a player can do anything he wants as long as it's you know ethical and not against the law. I get that. But a coach does have a right to say, hey, look, you're on social media a lot. We would prefer you not to be on it or reading it um, about yourself and the team. Other subjects, go for it, because some guys can handle it criticism, and others can't. Jalen Rager, my understanding of what I'm hearing is he couldn't handle all the crap, all the stuff that we say and hear, and he just didn't have the discipline to shut it down. And some guys can do it; some guys can't. Yeah. And good. And it's it, it's it's sad because maybe the kid has some talent, and he does have talent. Obviously, I'm not saying it's going to be Justin Jefferson, but my point is this: there's got to be some way in the interview process for draft prospects that they can, and, and I know they're gonna, that they got to describe Howie or whoever does the interviews for these prospects. Say, look, we got a crazy fan base. <laughs> They're going to say things and hear things probably over and above or over the top. If you can handle that type of culture, welcome. If you can't, nothing wrong with that. We're nuts. We're crazy. You maybe want to go in another direction, or the team's got to think. Mm, I don't know about this guy. He can handle it mentally. How much does that play in them selecting a player? He can have all the talent, but if he lets all this crap that you know, like talk radio, myself, media. Some
4: guys can't handle
9: it, and yeah. they can't play
3: here. Yeah, I think you make a great point, Bob, and I think the challenge with that is finding a procedure or an insight that allows a team to know whether a guy is going to be, an athlete is going to be able to handle playing in a Which tough market. Which is their job.
2: When it, they draft a guy that high or when they draft a guy, that should be part of their job. Markel Fultz is a prime example. I guess you could say Ben Simmons as well, but Markel Fultz especially.
3: Yeah, but it's but it's a really challenging thing to figure out, right? Like, um, and and, I, and teams and franchises are getting better at it. You know, I mean, the example I always use in, in kind of in this regard is Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf was like a real debate before the 1998 draft, and Ryan Leaf has come a long way since he was that kid. But man, you can't find two personalities more disparate than those two guys and yet there was an actual debate about like well maybe Ryan Leaf would be a better pick than Peyton Manning and part of the reason Leaf was a bust was that he couldn't handle simply the pressure of playing in the NFL and um, it is something that gets discussed at that level amongst general managers owners coaches all of that Um, but the challenge is figuring out like is there a way to determine how an athlete is going to react in these high pressure situations And it's especially hard now with social media, as as Bob mentioned. I mean, these athletes are just inundated with feedback. And if they aren't disciplined enough and can't control and manage that flow of criticism, it can get to them. Look at Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's on Twitter all the time. And it's one of those things that... Um, he allows to kind of seep into his brain, and maybe, you know, it affects him in one way or another. Yeah,
2: but is it unfair to say, well, can you handle Philadelphia? when it, it, This happens just about every city. It, now, nowadays so maybe, it does. Maybe a little more intense here, but it happens just about every city.
3: Yeah, nowadays it does, um, and it's something that teams— It's it's an imperfect science in terms of figuring out how to figure out— what an athlete brings to the table mentally, emotionally, psychologically.
2: Mentally, they have to be strong. I mean, obviously to get to a certain level, they have to be mentally strong anyway, but mentally have to be strong to block everything out and not worry about what's being said about them.
3: Right. And, And you don't know what they're going to encounter once they get to the highest level of their sport. You know, I mentioned earlier about Nelson Aguilar needing to physically kind of remake himself so that he could play with the same level of confidence and speed in the NFL that he played at in college, I think Markel Fultz was another example of that. I think I think part of the reason that Fultz got the yips over shooting the ball with the Sixers was that all of a sudden, at the NBA level, he couldn't get to spots on the floor or get his shot off with the ease that he once could in high school and college. And he was a kid who had made a really fast rise from like his sophomore year of high school to his one year at Washington— to be in the number one overall pick in the draft. And all of a sudden, he's at the first level of basketball that he's encountered where it's like, oh, my gosh, these guys are bigger and stronger and can bump me off my spot. And what do I do about that? And physically, he wasn't ready yet to counteract it, and it led to kind of a, a mental problem.
2: For him. I watched tape of him and some other high school players back then, Brid- Miles Bridges and several others as well, that seemed like the top prospects. Mm-hmm. And Watching him, I was like, this guy's the best of all. Of them. Yeah. But yeah. clearly, you know. Something went haywire yeah
3: yeah i mean it really did and i feel bad for the kid um and in some ways to you know to to bob's point about this being a tough place to play i mean there were people at sixers games cheering for markel fultz to attempt a three-point shot or a jump shot which is both good and bad right on the one hand fans are showing their support they want him to do well they understand that he is struggling with something the flip side of that is it was kind of condescending almost. It was like, we're yeah. cheering you just for doing the thing that a basketball player like you is supposed to do.
2: We're not bad fans. We're just you know yeah. trying to encourage her in- there.
3: Our intentions are good, but yeah. maybe the it doesn't help as much as we'd like to think it does.
2: 215-592-9494. WIP Sports Time is 12 o'clock.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.